Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, an entertainingly endoscopic education in how to enthuse against all odds as you find us at the end of an era. Dee and Paul are with us to take stock and recklessly speculate on where exactly we go from here. First up, Daniel Farker. There's been plenty of retrospective content out there since Saturday's sacking. So let's go around the room. Starting with you, Edie, was it the right time? I would. I, I can't deny that it wasn't the right time, and I think it would be slightly unrealistic to get upset about that. I think the manner in which it occurred, um, I can't think of anything good to say about, and I think it's a dirty little bookend, that and the whole soft porn gambling sponsor business, and in between are a load of very sad handwritten books but um, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm not a fantasist. It has to happen. I'm currently at sort of stage five of the, the grief journey. So, is that if sta- acceptance? Sta- stage stage five is the kind of weird porn analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Paul. What what about you? Um, I, I I agree. I think it was the right time. I I felt a couple of weeks beforehand that somebody. Weber or Farker had to be ruthless and that's either ruthless with the team Farker and just get on it and do something solid or Weber had to be ruthless with Farker and and you know well it turned out how it turned out I agree with Edie I just you know the timing of it but I mean uh, you know when when would be good timing at least he got a win that's all I can say well I think it was clear that it was the, the decision was already made um, and it was coming up with the, the the international break. Maybe they used the the week to to get together their shortlist of two or three or five, depending on how in the know the in the know is that you're currently following and getting your in the know information from. Um, five is the most recent in the know that I received today, but that was from someone who who evidently hasn't got a clue. Bless them. Um, but I don't think they'll put that in their article. Um, what about you, punt? Right time, wrong place, wrong place, right time, etc. No, oh, there's there's always now going to be a nagging part of me that just thinks, and probably and more so a nagging part of Daniel Farker that thinks I got the win. Could I have turned it around from here? The the celebrations that the players kind of took part in just retrospectively made me feel really sad because it it just I mean you saw Tim Krull absolutely bigging up the away end. And it just felt like, right, okay, there's something to build from. Um, and I know lots of people have said about the, oh, it's really nice that Daniel Farker got the Olays, you know, and, and he was able to bow out like that. Um, yeah, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, as I say, I think there'll just there'll always be this this bit of me that just thinks, what if? Um, and maybe it's nice that it's left like that. Maybe you know, it it is just open ended, and and you know, kind of we'll, we'll never know, and that's fine. Um, but you know, kind of looking at it in the, the cold light of day, I was probably only a game or two away, but, you know, from saying, yeah, I think that this is it for him. And it had gone far enough that I don't think he was ever going to be able to redeem it to a point where he was anything less than one or two games away from the crowd turning again. And then, you know, kind of you're always a dead man walking, aren't you? So, yeah, probably, um, you know, with, with, with hindsight. But, yeah, I just didn't want to admit it at the time. I, th- I think the fact that he managed to go with a with a positive um, is is a good reason for. I mean, one, it was the right decision because um, him being in place kept the stability to mean that we got a win, and we need that as a club for this season. Um, and, and it might be that 
going back to what I've said countless times, I, <laughs> I did say I think it might have been better for him to go in the summer and like ride off on his horse into the sunset, a complete victor, because that was the only way he was ever going to leave with, you know, had he gone off to one of the big German teams or, you know, a, a, even the second flight team getting one of the big ones that's just been relegated back in I think we'd have all gone yeah well we're sad to see you go but you know you've gone out on top what an incredible job you've done um this way he gets a little bit of that in that we've you know he leaves on a win um and he leaves with the last pictures we saw of him smiling and olaying and, and all the rest of it um but there's, there's no there's no get away from it they, they clearly had decided that that was right and I, I'd, I'd already got to the stage where I was resigned to it being inevitable after Chelsea, um, you know, the the only thing that that I thought could have could have saved him would have been if he'd have put if the Brentford performance came against Leeds, I think he'd still be in a job. Um, he, he, you know, he he managed to get the the right elements and the right performance from the guys and the right breaks. Let's have it right. We had a couple of breaks. We got the penalty that we don't always get. You know, VAR helped us out. Um, you know, they all came in 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 one day, and I'm, I'm you know I'm super pleased that we did get that bit of positivity, especially you know our mate Mads and the others that were down there um, for the game. You know, the guys that went away that that's fantastic for, for for those guys that they got to have that that kind of celebration. And the timing seemed incredibly stark and weird at the time, but but actually it's perfectly logical. The international break is the time to do it, um, and you just hope that there is. Um, there is a there is more of a plan than <laughs> the silence kind of suggests there is we'll know really I, I think someone mentioned earlier today that if there's if there's no no kind of more concrete rumors or or information by late t- tomorrow wednesday this is this is tuesday night that we're recording um you start to wonder whether or not there was there was a definite plan, um, but but we'll see on that. So to let, before we move on to to, to reckless speculation, let's just do the Brentford game. Edie, did you manage to watch match of the day for the first time this season? I uh, my other half was in Poland and he watched the whole thing and texted me throughout, which is I didn't really after I heard about the sacking didn't. Okay, really did okay. So I've I've never phrased a question on the podcast this way, but I'll go ahead with it. Did your husband enjoy the fact that um, they singled out Norman for praise? Um, yes, very much so. And and I actually, I think it's mainly because I kind of pointed him out earlier and was like, look, oh, look after that lad. Oh, keep an eye out there. And so I was sort of... Did you say it in that weird shy. Nana voice as well? Yes, 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 I did. Um, well, when when I talk about these young men, it's, it's very important like not to actually sound like I'm anything other than grandmotherly. Okay, um, especially when it comes to Matthias Norman, who's you know quite the rack. Well, when I said to when I said when when we signed him, I said to Joey, I think we've signed like uh, you know uh, one of the founding members of Girls Aloud. Like he's inc- he's just impossibly pretty in a nineties girl band sort of way. Um, yeah, uh, Paul, um, I, I think you maybe um, can can pick up on this um, in a slightly less ed way. <laughs> Talk, talk to me about Nor- talk to me about Norman. I mean, he's getting all his applauds, and we're not going to be the only people singling him out, of course. But I mean, that's one where Weber's going to so- sort of look at himself in the mirror and give himself a wink, right? Absolutely, and about time too, because I'm not sure about the rest of his transfer policy. But um, Norman has he's been getting better and better, and I think against Brentford, and I know it was against a poor Brentford, but he absolutely ran that first half. Absolutely ran that first half, and he made team of the week in the Premier League this week as well. 
and I don't think that is any mistake. I think he was he was fantastic, and and he to me is the kind of player you can build a team around. Um, and whoever comes in next, um, you know, should be able to do that quite easily. I think. Um, I think if it wasn't for Norman, we'd probably have fewer points than the few points we've already got. I, I made a similar point um, as I spoke to my old man who's unfortunately not able to, to go to the games anymore and so he hasn't seen any of the current crop um, but I, I said that um, when when describing Norman to him um, I was saying the, the, the gap between how how good he has been compared to everyone else in the team it's almost reached um, Houlihan or Buendia levels of well, it's going to have to go through him at some point. Like every good move is going to have to go through him. Now, I'm not saying he's as technically brilliant as those two, or that he's going to create as many chances. But do you see where I'm coming from? That it's just like you feel like anything good that comes from Norwich is probably going to have him involved at some stage in the in the game or in the or in the move. But I want to pick you up on what you said about um, Weber's transfer policy. What tell elaborate on that? So we've covered that Norman's both gorgeous and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, what oh, also, are the mis- there's what- other stuff, by the way. I'm not like, war. <laughs> I'm not like, you know. Yeah, like, okay. It's as if he's rendered in CGI. There is literally nothing wrong with the man. Okay, I, th- I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to follow that up with, here's some kind of hard analysis sort of punditry. I'm not just going to talk about, oh no, also he no, looks no, like no. he's a computer game. No, no, his performance is solid and rendered in CGI. Okay. It's, it's like he was made by a team of scientists in a developer's lab um there are very few moments where there's that traditional fist in mouth norwich moment of why did you do that i haven't found myself asking him that at all and you know that's that's pretty extraordinary no it is wonderful and he's superb but what about talk about fisting in mouths um paul it's not a sentence I thought I said today. Um, what is he talk, talk me through the fisting in mouths that's taking place with these um, these other lads? Then, which are the ones where you think eleven games in? Oh, Jesus Christ, what have we signed here? Um, I'm going to be honest. Most of them, I think. Um, I, I don't. I don't really understand. I don't really understand the policy that that was taken place. And I know we've been over this before, so I'll be brief. We knew that Skip and Wendy right at the beginning of last season were more than likely not going to be around at the beginning of this. So why we didn't have a Skip and a Wendy lined up to just come in the door in June, uh, I don't know. Um, so so the policy of, of bringing in uh, wingers, I'm, I'm not convinced by Rashica. Um Zolis, okay, one for the future, fine. But I know, I think, I think, John, you know, you said in the last podcast or the podcast before, what's what's the point in buying somebody? Uh, or maybe well, it was Tom, you, Tom said that. Sorry, not Tom. Me. Yeah, yeah, what's you know, what's the point in buying somebody with potential when we desperately need somebody now? Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, my main point is, I don't understand why we spent all of last season trying to right the wrongs of the first Premier League season by being better defensively, which we were superbly by playing a system that the whole club could play and then uh, uh, the idea being to build that up to get to take into the Premier League to be more solid playing in the way that we know that Farker likes to play and we love him playing and then to sign a bunch of players that don't seem to fit the system. I mean, what the hell is that all about? That's why he's lost his job. Yeah, They don't I, seem very I, committed at all. There doesn't, I don't see any kind of drive or commitment. Um, if you were to look at the Instagram account of Sergeant right now, I don't know if anyone's had a little look lately. He Come doesn't on. even say he plays for Norwich. 
Oh, really? Now, I know That's he doesn't all that. Use, yeah, I know he doesn't use social media, but he should have a person who at least updates his bio. Hashtag pitch war army or whatever it was that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so John, I'll, you know, bring you back in to to to, to come back on Paul's point. Um, uh, before I kind of just double down on something from a manager point of view that he just said, do you, do you think he's being a bit harsh? Because I think you're a bit higher on Rashid sir than than he is. I thought Rashica was really good on Saturday. I've yeah, seen, too. I've seen um, real flashes of brilliance from him. I can absolutely see why, why he was seen not necessarily as an Emmy replacement, but an Emmy alternative. I think to your point, Paul, around you know should we have had replacements absolutely kind of ready made to come in? Um, Skip is a massive hole to fill, and a, and a, that is a a commodity that we have found it difficult to to come across for years and we've always reverted back to to Alex Tetty um which was you know obviously even sadder that that he departed this summer um but that you know so it those two players were such colossuses last season that it was always going to be nigh on impossible to replace them adequately without a serious injection of cash that actually Norwich City just don't have or some absolute wonder recruitment, you know, from from a team that has done, you know, kind of historically done well at championship level, but hasn't actually proved themselves at, at Premier League level yet. I, I like Rashica a lot. I think there's there's a bit about him. I think we've got a, got to find a system that that suits his strengths. I think we've we've got to find a system that that suits Christos Jolis's strengths as well. And that's the difficult thing for me with with Daniel Farker. And you know, it, it feels bad to to kind of be slagging them out. Then the, this should kind of be a pod celebrating him, and I do hope we get on to a bit of that um, kind of later on, Tom. But it just felt like with Farker, and I know you know other people have mentioned it recently as well that you know he kind of had that Alex Neil against Newcastle six two moment, and just thought, right, I'm going to have to ditch everything and just be you know kind of really difficult to beat and and just ditch the style and. That disappoints me because it seemed like there was a deliberate plan over the summer to not necessarily replace what we'd lost, but to recruit to a system. So, you know, we bought we brought Billy Gilmore in on loan because, you know, it, it looked like we were going to be playing a 4-3-3 and, and he might be able to, to contribute towards that. We brought in two wingers because we were going to be playing that 4-3-3. We brought in Matthias Norman because... And I'll, I'll talk about him briefly, but you know, kind of because he could kind of play those those long raking balls into into wingers that that would maybe make us you know kind of a bit more um, of a, ca- a counter attacking side. So then the fact that he he kind of you know pivoted away from that quite quickly was the thing that I think really did for Farker. I did just want to touch on Norman actually because everyone has been bigging him up. And look, let's face it, if there was a player of the season vote right now, then he'd clearly, you know, he'd, he'd absolutely win that via landslide. But I do, I'm getting a little bit frustrated as it, as it, at his kind of penchant for the Hollywood ball. Like, so every time he gets it now, it's like, well, I'm going to spray a 30 or 40 yarder. And I think sometimes it hampers Norwich. I think sometimes, you know, we, we needlessly give away possession because of that, because he's always looking for the killer ball. So as much as he's a fantastic talent, you know, kind of CGI rendered, you know, kind of, um, God of 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 men, um, I think he's there's still work in progress with him, and he can get even better with the right coaching. Well, I'd say the same thing about a couple of the other the other lads. So Rashica showed in glimpses in the Liverpool game, um, definitely at the weekend. Um, and to be honest, a couple of runs 
relatively in in that good patch, that short good patch we had in the first half against Leeds. Um, he he, I think he is someone who, along with Norman, um, uh, definitely obviously Gilmore and Quebec. I would also say where we could by the end of the season be saying all four of those are incredible signings because Quebec has shown enough in 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 parts of being able to step out and and get us on the front foot in like a kind of uber Ben Godfrey way. Um, but what? What coaching needs to happen there is saying um, two, three strides forward and then find someone to pass it to and get your little bottom back into um, defence. You know, basically pick your times to to go on one of your worldy one-man solos along the along the, the pitch um, because you then you will minimise quite how much of a risk you're putting yourself if you do lose it. Um, and, and I think it's the same with, with, with Gilmore. He obviously needs coaching to, to get into the right system. But just want to go back to something you said, Paul, about... Um, you know, echoing a, a thought from the last part of why did we spend so much money on someone who, if Weber was being ge- um, genuine, which I'm not 100% sure much of that interview was, especially now we know what he was, he was thinking in the back of his mind, which is you've got one more game, Daniel. Uh, <clears throat> I think that he, um, it, why have we spent all that money on someone who, if he genuinely isn't due for this season? Now, I would say a similar thing about the manager, I would say if we have put all of this stock into we're going to have this three five two four three three way of playing Farkball, which was obviously always supposed to be a tweak on Farkball rather than a complete um, abandonment of it, and then it's become an abandonment of it, then surely, surely, bearing in mind we don't have a massive war chest in January because we're Norwich, the new manager is going to have to be picked from either being able to show that they've played in that kind of system or with that kind of players before or they're going to be able to demonstrate tactical flexibility and in their interview, because we know from speaking to to people involved in these decisions before, they love a spreadsheet, they love a PowerPoint, they love a slide deck to the the Norwich lot. Um, So if if they need to be able to demonstrate that that they are going to be able to utilise the players and how they're going to be able to get a tune out of them. Um, And part of me thinks that that might be where the new manager bounce could come from, from an outsider who isn't lumbered with uh, Campwell's my player or I've fallen out with Campwell or Gilmore is a, is a favour to 2 Kel, so I've got to play him or not that the Fark seem to worry about that um, or, you know, this is my system or this is the Norwich by playing. You know, if they can genuinely look at the first 11 games worth of video and the analytics and the data and we've got an interesting pod coming up on that, which we can reveal soon around the way that Norwich handle that. Um, and they can then go, right, well, actually, the best sum of these parts is this 11 in this system playing this way. And I almost think that they will be, they are less encumbered by Farker for, it's impossible for Farker to put aside him and Campwell's um, on-off love-hate relationship. It's impossible for him to put aside how much has been spent by him and Weber on certain players for a certain system, because it was his. He was in charge of preseason. He was in charge of what system they played and how how they prepped. Whereas this new person can say, "Look, I've literally got to deal with what I've got. I might get a couple in January, but basically, I've got to deal with this." Right. So therefore, with absolutely, he can pick any formation or she can pick any formation they want. Um, and no one can go. Oh well, they've only done that because of X. Do you see what I mean? Like, I think that's where we might we might get get some benefit. But yeah, you're right, John. We need to 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 kind of send Farker off um, for now, anyway, from an ACM point of view. So, Ed, give me a 
give me something that you think maybe is slightly under the radar of the coverage so far that actually you're going to be thinking about long into the future that you're grateful for from a from a Farka era point of view um well I mean aside from the, the surface thing of just how iconic um he has been um and just I could picture him I could shut my eyes right now and probably see him right now in just a matter of a few rendering of some lines but the little kind of subtle detail for me is always how he would lose and not exactly lose the thread maybe he did it on purpose but he would just go on these sort of tangents of allegory that were just completely batshit um i don't know if you remember him suddenly talking about you. <laughs> just say, yeah for me that hey. is high praise indeed <laughs> like like recognizes like um so he would start going on about dating kira knightley um and it just starts going on about oh you would get your mum to iron your clothes and then go for a haircut and he's like what are you talking about that was my favourite thing of just this sort of he'd just get a look in his eyes and off he would go. I wonder if he did that with the players as well. I mean, because I mean, I mean, the the sitting room, the living room thing. Remember that when he first because that became a bit of a running joke. Um, but when the, the the actual first living room press conference where he started talking about you know we're going to be home in our living room and we've got the sofa and we've got the snacks or whatever that was a similar one of those where you're like yeah you, you should have stopped a few sentences ago Daniel this is this is starting yeah. to be weird well these, um, these are very linear thinkers these are sportsmen they I mean I, if, I don't know if you watched the repeat of the Graham Taylor documentary on channel four a couple of weeks ago got it on it record was, Okay, so basically what dawned on me with this watching all these years later was his just consistent use of the double negative. And I was thinking with like a bit of maturity and some management training and experience on my part, stop talking to these linear thinkers who just want like ball left, right, you know, kickball, um, lots of kind of random similes and metaphors. And I'm not quite sure if that would always have hit the target let's put it that way just like Graham Taylor and his double negatives which took a lot of figuring out to actually get to the point of what he was trying to say but it's, it's interesting looking at you you brought up Sargent's Insta and, I, and I'm not massive on, on on the old Insta side of things I'll, I'll admit but um uh, I have seen because it was basically reported on social media that I do kind of dip in and out of the coverage and, and all of the, the 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 praise that that came from all of the young players that have either moved on from Norwich or are still at Norwich that you know a lot of that did seem fairly heartfelt and it didn't seem mm. too too token and the fact that it was they were quite different and specific the messages it didn't seem like you know someone had said come on lads we should probably put something out for for the boss um, I, I think yeah. he was a horticulturalist um, in terms of his management style he was a sl- a, a slow grower of 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 skills and so what you'll see is that the the tributes are are mainly from the people that really owe him something from long term those are the ones that are really really genuine I think taking on this huge crop of new people and then hearing all the Kieran Knightley stuff that might have just been too much too soon well what about you Paul um it was really hard when when you posed this question to us before we recorded I, I you know it's so hard to think about stuff that hasn't been mentioned about Daniel because you know because of his dignity and I think the sense of identity that he's given to the club and and I don't personally remember a manager that ever made me feel like he does which is 
which is that this was our club. It was his and our club together. And there was never any, I never questioned that. I never, ever questioned that, um, which is remarkable, thinking about the amount of managers I've seen come and go. But the thing that, uh, when I started to think about really little things, it was that little thing he had with um, uh, Dimi Janulis when he first um, played for Norwich and he hit that sideways pass against Stoke. You may or may not remember, and it suddenly turned out that that Farker had put a ban on sideways passing. And I think Janulis had had said he he realised. I think Nick Powell scored the goal uh, for Stoke. I think it was because it came yeah. across it came across the the box. Um, and it was little things like that for me where where Farker would you know it, it, it wouldn't it wasn't just a general ban on sideways passing. You know when you when you read Janulis's interview about that, and I was reading it earlier, and it's in the Athletic. Um, uh, he, he tells you exactly why Farker wanted there to be no sideways passing. You know that Farker did nothing without there being a purpose to to everything. Um, and you know, for Dimi to get that within the first game, you know, the first half of the first the first game, I thought that just said everything about the man whose attention to detail uh, was was just so ridiculous. But actually, I think as time goes on, that's something that we will begin to appreciate more and more because I'd, I'd be very surprised if we see another manager uh, who has had that much of an effect on players like that. Well, yeah, I mean, we had uh, a bit of a gap. Some some of what you said, I felt a little bit with with Lambert um, in, in the particularly in the kind of late stages of the League One campaign. Mm. I, I really felt like... Um, it was us against the world. He he did a he, he he's probably the last person that was anywhere near as good as playing the press as Farker is. Um, you know he 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 was terrific. He knew exactly what lines to feed and what to say and when. Um, and I I felt that that kind of togetherness. But you've had a, you, you've um, articulated that brilliantly, Paul. Because I, I hadn't really realised quite how much I'm going to miss that or quite how much losing that is at risk with this with this managerial change so whilst I am really looking forward to that blank canvas that fresh clean sheet of paper that you know it's a new era there's 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 none of the hang-ups around oh well he doesn't do this properly or he never does that and this is the one thing I've always annoyed me about Farker or oh well if only he'd managed that player better not all of that's gone it's you know it's going to take a good few games until there's a narrative inverted commas around around anything in particular there is a real risk that we now go into a bit of a wilderness again um not necessarily with regards to staying in the league or you know not bouncing back or whatever but in terms of kind of culture, um, I feel like the it, it's a it's one thing that I haven't seen mentioned because maybe it's too emo, and maybe we're, we're the only podcast that would bring it up. Um, the pandemic really hurt the connection with the football club, and I think football clubs like Norwich, whereby we don't have a great deal of silverware to shout about, and whilst yes, we win a lot in the Championship of late. You know, we, we quite often go quite a few seasons in a row where we don't win more than we lose um, up until the last kind of three or four years. I mean, look at the first Farker season. Um, that that connection with the community and that that feeling of they belong to us and this is this is this is how I know whether or not I'm happy enough to watch a match today or whether I need to text my husband in Poland about it or whatever. That comes from that connection with the football club. 
And the pandemic really affected that for a lot of people. And there's, there's a lot of the older and vulnerable people, as I just gave an example of earlier, who haven't actually made it back yet to football and might not ever make it back to football. And this is actually maybe a really tricky time to change manager because the new person is going to have the fist pumping and the hooray and whoever it is, there's going to be a section of the fan base that's going to be devastated. You know, if it's, um, you know, a Norwegian bloke or a Portuguese bloke, but not one of the famous ones or whatever, then people are going to say, oh, well, 100 caps, Lampard, blah, blah. Uh, and then likewise, if it's uh, a really big name that we're all surprised about, there'll be a whole bunch of people who said, oh, no, it should have been the progressive, thoughtful person who's more like Farker from Muscuri. So there's going to be that anyway. But generally, everyone's going to give them a bit of a benefit of the doubt. And there's going to be fist bumps and everyone's going to be really up for it on the first couple of games, etc. Um, but if it doesn't go well, and if there isn't a clear identity relatively quickly, that there is a danger that, that it, we could sort of drift and we could sort of drift to a relegation where, okay, we go down with... 21 points or 28 points or whatever and you know it's not an embarrassment but you know it's it's better than it was but we have we're just sort of Norwich and it's just an also ran that's not an ideal season for a manager to build a a real kind of sense of belonging with a with a fan base um and so I'm I kind of echo your 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 sentiment really Paul that I think what Norwich run the risk of losing we don't know if we've lost it completely because we don't know how the next few months with the new person is going to going to going to turn out but what we could have lost is that feeling that we know exactly what sort of football there's going to be on a Saturday we know exactly how we're going to try and set up and we obviously we lost that in the last few games of Farker but that reassurance that this is what happens Saturday at three o'clock that kind of metronomic style of football which we've spoken about before on this pod that's huge we had an amazing piece by uh, maddie on the longcomenorage.com website about how important to her personally and and you know the journey she's been on recently daniel farker is to her there's many of us who dealing with different issues and going through different kind of paths or whatever everyone's got their own challenges but to all of us, not necessarily just Farker, but football is that. Football is our crutch. It is the reason we know whether or not we're happy or not. It picks us up when we're sad and it gives us a reason to shout and swear. So, that, so yeah, I re- there's a long way of, of saying it, but I really agree with you, Paul. And it isn't until you just said it that I realised I think that's the thing I am most worried about with regards to, to getting this new manager right. And with that, I'll pass on to you, John, who probably in much less time will say something much better. I doubt I'll say something much better. I mean, I, I really wanted to echo, as you just have, um, Paul's point. It's, And I hadn't thought about it much like you, Tom. It, it's the identity that Daniel Farker gave us as supporters. And he, you know, I mean, you, you go back to his first media stuff um, that he did with, I think it was Chris Gorham, and he was really labouring the point, football is for the fans, we're here to entertain, I want to be on the front foot. And you didn't see it in that first season or you didn't see it enough in that first season. But it was clear that, you know, it's clear now that that the building blocks were being put in place. And, and he was the architect of that wonderful football season that actually we'll never forget. Um, you know, and it, it just seemed like so many things came together at the same time and, and just just made the, you know, the most magical campaign that, that yeah, that I think that that I will be part of as a supporter. And I, I said it to my um, my now 13-year-old, but, you know, my 10 slash 11-year-old at the time, I said, 
football doesn't get as good as this. You know, this is, you know, you've, you've peaked and, you know, this is pretty much your first season coming to watch Norwich. Um, so I feel really sorry for you, you know, kind of in that respect, because it was, it wasn't going to get much better. And that is his legacy. I think his legacy is he gave us that. He helped us to believe again because Norwich kind of were in the doldrums. Yeah, we, we'd been picked up a little bit by Alex Neal, but then, you know, that had gone stale before that. Chris Hewton had obviously presided over some some shite. Um, but Daniel Farker was, I think everyone could buy into him. And, you know, to your point, Tom, about, um, you know, the last the last bloke that I kind of, you know, kind of felt like that way about was maybe Paul Lambert. I get that. But it was really clear with Paul Lambert, you kind of knew in the back of your mind that he was a bit of a shithead, but he was our shithead, so it was fine. Whereas with Daniel Farker, I just think he he came across as if he was a decent human and he was our decent human and he played this wonderful football and everything's brilliant and you know nothing is ever going to go wrong ever again. And of course it did um, because that's life. But it doesn't stop the fact that he made us feel like that for a time, you know, and, and we should never, ever forget that. Um, but to to answer your original question, which was like, what what one thing do I think um, won't be covered? It, it's kind of similar to Edie's, but in a in a slightly different way in so much as I've said it on this podcast before, but it, it genuinely astounds me that Daniel Farker can watch 90 minutes of football, analyze that go and talk to his players, have no prep time pretty much to, to kind of conjugate his thoughts or write things down and then just give the exact same interview and say the exact same things to Radio Norfolk, then to Archon, then to the club channels. He was just an absolute master of his art. That The attention to detail that, that he put into that was just mad. You know, I've never seen another manager be able to do that. Um, and I, I, it, I think it speaks to how intense and how meticulous he was. Um, and it's just in microcosm, that probably says a lot about the man. Yeah, I mean, it's worth also echoing what our um, brother in ACN said on Five Live. He, he also smelt fantastic. So that's that's worth pointing out. He did. Um, right, Edie, let's get on to... Um, we're going to kind of start taking on the listener questions, um, but I'm going to, I know it's Punt's job to read those out, but one of them kind of leads it's my me my only on. job. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, it's the only reason I turn up. Uh, this is the turn up, what turn up to your house with the internet. Um, so Edie, uh, should the no dickheads policy, because this follows on from what we were just talking about and John brilliantly saying about how he, yeah, he was a lovely bloke and he was our lovely bloke. How important do you think it is that that we that we bear that in mind and that actually like you know is attracted to like like as you said before you know should should we care about a no dickheads policy or, or do we think that we'd rather go down and be in love with our manager than than stay up and feel like it was a functional relationship? I don't think that's a binary choice. Um, I would say I think that in the future, some clever clogs in business management studies is going to actually use what happened during the last few years as a case study of how to create and implement a culture within an organization that motivates everyone around it from the employees to the customers. Um, football aside, put football in a little shoebox. Um, and I think that 
that sort of um, knowing what the club stood for and um, everybody working along that same plan, that did work when everyone was in one place and able to communicate on a kind of more organic level pre-pandemic. But I think the challenge here very much is they've really, really, from a branding standpoint, damaged their brand, which is what gets more and more people involved um, by essentially taking the totemic figure of this wonderful culture and doing something to him that is not very on brand. So it's, it's, I don't think that by doing that, it's going to lead to more goals and more wins and people in Beijing or Thailand suddenly deciding that they're uh, canaries for life. I, I, I just We're just not that sort of team that has that kind of expansion strategy. Um, I think, you know, just, just look at um, the other club slightly south of us to see what happens when you get mean and you're a little club. Uh, like It just doesn't really seem to succeed in terms of, a, a, a commercial enterprise that people want to be part of. Did we get mean? Did we get mean though? Really? I mean, look at the run of results, and it. And, and... I've been reading a lot of media around from leadership around this, and from a comms standpoint, it was ill-advised. Let's yeah, put fair. it that way. Fair enough. Um, and and so yeah, if 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 you kind of come from the kind of professional background that I do and you keep an eye on this stuff then you do tend to pick up that things aren't quite aligned where they were beautifully aligned at a time that coincidentally or non-coincidentally led to success yeah well I think you're completely right with regards to the totemic figure pulling everyone around them but I would say that from a comms point of view we we have also got a gaping hole where Ben Kensel was um, he deserves a huge amount of credit for how together the shit was um, mm. in the last two or three years at that football club. Um, off the pitch, the vision, um, the relentlessly, um, and have, you know, luckily have, saw him work firsthand. Saw the way he ran meetings. Saw the way he listened to people. And then when he when he decided that you know we were straying off topic or things were not working the way they should that's when he speaks up and says, well, hang on, um, you said this and you said that. And actually, I think if you had those two together, shouldn't we be doing this? He he is incredibly shrewd. And I think it's a huge loss to, to Norwich, not not having him from a, from a business point of view. And I, there does seem to be, you know, shall we say quite a bit of chaos on the, on the, on the off the pitch side. It's a state of flux, of isn't it? I think yeah. there's a state, of, you know, at, at the club. And, you know, the fact that, Ben wasn't adequately re- adequately replaced. I think the fact were the fact that um, replaced Stuart stop. Webber's well, Stuart well, uh, but I think I'll come on to that. So Stuart Webber's um, you know kind of post and and the general kind of long term view around how long he'd be at the football club was in doubt. I think from you know reports that we read and and from what I understand, it's no longer in doubt. And you know we'll get an announcement on that you know towards the end of the month about you know kind of some kind of rolling contract. But I think. Look, let's face it, the club can tell us till we're blue in the face that Ben Kensel planned to go um, when he did. He clearly didn't plan to go in the manner that he did when he did because it left a big gaping hole that they hadn't really planned for. So, you know, the fact that, you know, we then had to get an interim kind of step up to 
commercial director who you know sounds like again you know he's going to become permanent and then you know Zoe is is getting her head around the business and other parts of the business so that you know she can offer leadership it, it wasn't an ideal position for you know and and it kind of look I know the club will be at pains to point out that it was nothing to do with BK8 and, and you know maybe we shouldn't speculate about that but you know it's um I think it was part of the picture as part of the merry-go-round that that was happening at that time and it it can't have helped, can it? You know, there's no doubt, you know, as much as it, lots of people will go, oh, well, it's what's happening on the pitch and the football side is really different. Well, yeah, but if there is a slightly chaotic, you know, business side of, of the club, you know, it, it, that doesn't do anyone any favours because, you know, there is a tension that, that's taken away from, you know, kind of your, your core business, which is the football. Um, so, yeah, the fact that they are sorting their shit out in that regard now, I think is a, is a really positive sign. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, I don't think you, I don't think an informed football fan to sound like the fan police, but that's fine because the people who hate us and cause the fan police don't listen. So whatever, uh, I think we were called. Oh, they hate listen. Of course well, they listen. Well, Hello, well, <laughs> weren't we? That's for you. Um, weren't, uh, uh, that's that. That kiss is for the person who uh, who referred to some ACN lot as hipsters. Apparently, and I've never been referred to as a hipster in my life. So I'm clearly oh, doing. Bless. I'm clearly doing something right. Um, must be the least cool person to ever be called a hipster. Um, anyway, so. Going back to um, your point on the football and and um, and side of things not being affected by the business side of things, that is only true when there isn't decisions to be made and there isn't kind of shit to get together. So I think being in this state of flux, irrelevant of how it came about, because it doesn't really matter, it's not really relevant at this point, um, it means that there are decisions to be made around the management, decisions to be made around transfers, decisions to be made around you know scaling up for the Premier League. To what extent do we go big with our investments in infrastructure and other things at the moment versus do we just you know kind of tiptoe a little bit like we did last time? Those kind of decisions were having to be made at the point of winning promotion and getting everything together. And that, you know, I remember <clears throat> having a conversation with um, Ben Kensel. I can just say that, can't I? Cause he's not there anymore. The, the after the previous promotion and he just ran through a list uh, I was there on the, the other, other business he ran through a list um, when we were pitch side of um, projects that were ongoing and it literally made my brain hurt listening to the amount of things that were I mean I think also that was the season that VAR went in so that was obviously quite an obvious one but everything from now we need to put, we need to put laptop analytics things into the um uh, into the uh, subs benches and uh, actually because in the Premier League we need to have a slightly different size technical area and we have to do this to the subs benches and they need to be bigger seats and then also because of the press box the Wi-Fi needs to be upgraded because there's a certain um, minimum standard of that in the Premier League that there isn't in the Championship and 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 and, and. So all so scaling up from Championship to Premier League, which yes, okay, a lot of that stuff will have been in place, but there still would have been the latest step of Premier League standards and we deal obviously a lot with, with Dan and the, the, the press the press guys at, um, at Norwich, um, you know, you just have to listen to the, the media requests and, and stuff that Dan can reel off in terms of how much harder his job is in the Premier League. Um, dealing with that scale up in a period of organisational flux must have been an absolute nightmare with people learning jobs, not really having handovers, you know, halfway through their onboarding, still in their probation and being asked to take these big decisions. So that must have been ever so difficult. They must be very lucky no one was calling for their sacking as they were doing it. Well, quite. And and, and that's, and that's what it comes down to. If, if, if we have a smooth start to the season, 
um, they've got time to get their house in order and get the new regime bedded in and get the job titles sorted um, and not have interim in front of lots of job titles for the first three months of the season. And no one really cares because, well, we've got 12 points after 11 games and we're two places above the bottom three and this is not too bad a start, actually. Um, okay, let's do let's hit some listener questions properly, Punt. All right. So let's start off with Elizabeth Coldwell on Twitter. And she's asked us, um, losing which Norwich manager has made you most happy, angry, sad and relieved? Shall we start with you, Paul, on happy, angry, sad and relieved? So you've got four there. Losing which Norwich manager made me happy? Oh, um it wouldn't feel like losing them if you were happy. No, exactly. I, I, well, I, so I felt um, the easy one would be Peter Grant, wouldn't it? But I actually felt a bit sorry for him. Chris Hewton, actually, I think I felt happy that he'd gone because it just wasn't working out um, and, and I felt like we were going backwards. Uh, what was the next one? Angry. Angry. Losing which manager? Losing Lambert. That really pissed me off because that I've said it before on previous podcasts with you guys that, you know, off to Villa every every time we have this ability to st- to make the step up somebody buggers off to villa and this time it was it was um paul lambert uh next one um sad sad um i mean daniel farker aside and i tweeted this yesterday or the day before that actually i've not felt this sad since ken brown uh was relieved of his duties and i i think i think i was in my teens Oh, Tom, someone older than me is on the podcast. (laughs) I've never given that away. I'll know. You'll you'll never bring me back now. Um, But I genuinely, I think that's when I first felt proper empathy for the role of of football managers because I saw Ken Brown's exit interview on Anglia Telly and I just bawled my eyes out. I was really genuinely upset and and I still feel upset when I think about it now. Oh, so that could be the sad one as well. Oh no! Sorry, that was a sad that one. Was and the relieved. Sad one. Relieved. Sorry, I thought we were on relieved. Relieved uh, might be the same as happy though. Elizabeth no, points out. Well, but I but I think I think relieved was Gunny, um, just because because he should never have been in that position in the first place, and and he's a legend, and you know I I, I just hated the idea of of that all falling apart. So I was I was relieved to see the end of that. That's a brilliant shout because he should never have been put in that position, as you say, mm. and it probably robbed us of a good few years of Angus Gunn. And but then, you know, I suppose it all works out because if um, Angus Gunn had been at the club permanently and had stayed here and not gone to Man City, we we may never have come across Tim Krull. So there you go, <laughs> Edie. Would you like to have a go at happy, angry, sad, relieved? Oh my God, so so similar to Paul's, really. Um, so with with gun, it was a bit like like you just sort of hit a wild animal with your car, <laughs> and you were like, "Thank God, it's I've just it's taken out rather than me having to reverse back over it," you know. Um, Hewton, because I can't ever say I'd be happy to see anyone go. Hewton, it was kind of like when you are essentially in a relationship with someone that you're utterly utterly disinterested in. And then they sort of go and you're really glad you didn't have to have any sort of conversations about it. But you also half haven't noticed they're missing. Um, and then angry and sad, um, it's Farker. Just, it's a very emotional time. Thomas? Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was pretty cross with, uh, pretty cross with Lambert. Um, 
I was very sad with with Farker, and I was surprised about how, and I know you were surprised as well, Punt, with how sad it was because I, you know, he. There's always been something about him that's slightly rubbed me up the wrong way. Um, as much as I adore what he's brought to to the club and, and how many fantastic times I've had under his kind of leadership of, of the football side of things, I did feel ever so sad when when it actually did happen. Um, happy, I don't know if I've been happy when someone's left. Like re- relieved, I would say Hewton because um, Hugh, like <laughs> as much as it's the biggest cliche around. He's a lovely man. <laughs> I met him. A, I met him a couple of times at a couple of football events, and he was. I remember. I, I met him during the the transfer window when we were linked with Quagliarella. Do you remember that? Oh, um, Quagwatch. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was talking to him about it, and he was very funny, very dry. Um, yeah. Now he was. He was so lovely, and you, it was just one of those things where you just thought, "Oh, you're you're not right." For, I. Oh, he should be. You feel like if he'd have always stuck at being like assistant coach, he would now probably be the assistant coach to Pep or anyone he wants. Like clearly, he's he's not the manager guy. That's not his thing. Um, Who's your Phil Neal? Righty onto Scar. <laughs> so yeah, and then yeah, so that's when relieved. But yeah, happy. I don't think I'm happy because I yeah, I've always been a bit of a. I mean, I don't quite remember Ken Brown, but I have always been a bit of a softy. In, in as much as I don't really like cheering for people to be sacked. Like, reluctantly, I thought it was time after Chelsea for Farker to probably go, as in, not that I wanted him to go, I didn't want him to have the sack, but I just felt I can't see us staying up if he is still our manager, if you see what I mean. There's a difference between being happy for someone to go and that happening. So, yeah, no, I, I think I'll have to pass on being happy. Okay. Um, I'd probably echo a lot of what you guys have said, but relieved, actually, I'd, I'd probably throw in Nigel Worthington, um, and that sounds slightly strange because he'd given us such good times, but it was the fact that it had gone so bad for you know for some time, and the board had kind of sat on making that decision for for so long. It just felt like well, that was because he was so, lovely as well, though, wasn't it? I yeah, mean, was and they had such a relationship with him. He needed to be put out of his misery because it was it was the one thing that ha- it, that happened to him that we didn't want to happen to Daniel Farker. Is it got really toxic at Carrow Road? You know, everyone remembers that game against Burnley and, you know, kind of the Ginger Pele's rugby tackle on, you know, the Burnley forward and he got sent off. And, you know, it was, that was one of the darkest days actually that I can remember as a Norwich fan. And it shouldn't have been because we were in the second tier, but it just felt really That was the work, that was the, um, other than 7-1, which to be honest was so shocking that it was almost like an out-of-body experience, to be honest, the second half. Just couldn't couldn't really believe it was happening, and also it was the first day of the season, so it wasn't like it didn't feel defining in any way. Um, that's the worst I felt at Carrow Road. Um, that Burnley game, I, I really didn't like it. I, I felt so, and I was angry about how bad we, things had got as well. But it was there was something in the vitriol that felt aggressive and not in aggressive almost in a 1980s way like just yeah. like hang on lads. yeah it got really like, nasty this is this is unpleasant and um just to your point Edie, i appreciate you're angry and sad and you're going through a lot at the moment you know stage five um porn analogy stage i uh, do you not think that uh, and again you you can answer this with your professional more informed comms head on than us do you not think that actually they were really keen maybe to spare him because the end of Leeds nearly got very nasty 
and then people sort of were, got a bit apathetic and sort of drifted away. Another couple of home games of that, and it would it would have been awful for Farker to have gone after that kind of defeat, surely, and been properly booed off. Yeah, and you know, you bring up the, the the Worthington era. That was before the invention of the hashtag, and therefore that kind of release mechanism was not there to kind of resolve the situation quicker than possible. But I think the reason why there was just so much kind of I don't know. There was obviously your, your people with the hashtags doing the hashtaggy thing, probably because they just wanted to connect and get clicks off each other and feel something and whatever. But I don't think anyone was really truly um, thinking about what the alternative um, would be. And I say this right now, looking out of I'm not actually in Norwich at the moment. I am looking out of my window at the Emirates, where for a few years I've watched some very sad men howling with banners with clocks on calling for destruction and something must be done and you know none of them could really come up with an alternative it was always that immediate outpouring of emotion as opposed to the suggestion of a constructive alternative and I think it's for someone so iconic as as Farker that the idea of who you would replace him with the fact that there's such discussion going on now and there's not one kind of golden champion on the horizon it does make sense that that there would be at least a kind of fingers crossed for him as as for as long as possible because i mean just look at look at all of this sort of toing and froing and maybe it's this person and maybe that person could do it maybe it's freddie lundberg apparently you know it's it's just sort of a bit of a tangle well yeah but that's only that's only externally so so let's look at the, let's look at the the current the current kind of names that have cropped up. Well, that, um, that does lead us nicely on to Matthew McGregor's question, which is which coaches being discussed in the media would be an actual upgrade on Farker and which wouldn't. Yes, I mean, you're really, you are really keen to read these, aren't you? Um, so I didn't. I, I didn't We're doing the section, mate. I know. Right. I, I didn't realise that this segment was, was, was so crucial to your identity. Um, so yeah, uh, Matthew McGregor. That's an excellent question, Matthew McGregor. Um, he's Twitter. an excellent man he's, he's, and he's done us a big favour in securing an excellent guest that will be coming soon yes no that is yeah we've got we're sitting on a couple of beauties actually um, so I think I want to go I want to go round I'm going to start with you Edie then go Paul then go John uh, you can only choose the candidates that are uh, that have been talked about on social media like relatively so you know we're not talking the really random ones like the Jumbergs but of the ones that have received some backing and and there's been a lot of debate about um so your Knutsons and your Franks and your Dean Smith um uh and Lewis Bermorte um one word which one do you want to pick bearing in mind it's got to be one that you've heard that, that's been part of the kind of the, the clamor and the talk of the last couple of days who's it going to be ED one word uh, Knutson, just oh, it's so obvious. Like I, I want to come up with something really cool and you know weird, but no. Um, that would be that would be very on brand for you if you did. Um, Paul. Mm, God, I'm looking at the sky bet list of <laughs> of people right now, and I wish that Emma Hayes had been um, more talked about. She's thirty three to one. I'm going to say Lampard. Oh, Edie's not happy with you. No, that makes that. <laughs> can I go sad and angry on that one, please? Okay, I'm really so... not sure you made me say one. It's not fair. <laughs> right, go on. Your your turn, John. One word. Knutson. Okay. 
So the currently uh, you've got Steve Bruce at twenty to one. Um, you've got Roy Hodgson at sixteen to one. The, the one that I actually think is most crazy is is Dean Smith. That that is the one that I just think on what planet would yeah. would would I mean? Because the thing is with Frank Lampard, I um I can't I can't really. Cognitively, I, I get Dean Smith more than I do Frank Lampard, to be honest oh, with you. Other way around, mate. Other way around. I can cognitively yeah, right, understand well, yeah. where Frank Lampard is in his career. That he is, he would be, he would be maybe expecting to have to do it at the top of the Championship to prove himself in the Premier League. I think he'd be over the moon to get an opportunity to do it at, at Premier League level. Do Do you think? Right? Can I just put out a theory that Frank Lampard is absolute banter, kind of? Weber is feeding the nationals and actually he's just because Frank is a known Tory he's trying to wind up the um the BK8 gate snowflakes that that he referenced in previous interviews I they're I, all they're all Tories <laughs> they're all it's everybody knows they're all Tories no, no, let's no, just no, be no. open about uh, this no Rus- Russell Martin is 20 to 1 and he's quite clearly not not a Tory um, and also definitely not going to take it. So yeah. we've got... Uh, He'll be eaten alive. We've got Frank Lampard, uh, who I can I can see why he would want it. I can't quite work out. I can't. I just can't just can't see it. It just feels it's like just wrong. It's the circus right? that comes with Frank Lampard. Exactly. Well, we'd be, we'd just, be Frank Lampard's it's not, Norwich City. It's not Norwich City, yeah, is it? You know, it, you know it's, um, you know, uh, Southampton go to, to, to Frank Lampard's Norwich City. Um, Dean Smith, but, but but having said that, I still think Dean Smith is a weirder name because the style of football was wrong. Um, he completely relied on um, uh, Grealish in the way that Farker relied on on Buendia. Um He doesn't have any kind of links links to us that I'm certainly aware of. He's just left the club that he actually did support, um, and you know I, I can't can't see, and also he's just this second been sacked for not performing in the league we want someone to perform in and i, I can't believe he's not going to want at least a few months break because that must have been hellish especially loving the club as he did boa morte what uh, roy hodgson <laughs> again i can like lampard i can see it i can see how he can't, I can see how he might come out of retirement because apparently him and delia are big acquaintances and actually, he might say, "Look, I'll actually will do you an eight-month contract. Um, pay me quite handsomely for eight months, um, and I'll see if I can do it." And I'm not up for I'm not up for trying to get you out of the championship. And so let's not even muck about with that. I will give it a go. And you, but you resign me to play in the football that I need to play, and you need to sign me a couple of big lads in, in January. I, again, I I wouldn't choose him, uh, but I can I could just about see it. Talk to me about Mark Robbins, please, uh, John. No, I, I, I've got no firm opinion on Mark Robbins. I mean, you know, he's he seems to have done a reasonable job at some of the clubs that he's managed in, in the lower leagues. And he's, he's certainly done a really, really good job at, at Coventry. But he's been nowhere near this level. You know, kind of if, if you're looking at experience of either a Premier League club or, you know, a top flight club in, in somewhere else in Europe, he's absolutely not your man. And, you know, as much as... I quite like him when he, you know, he used to do um, the co-coms for Radio Norfolk. Um, we kind of go back to the Tory thing. I remember in the in the nineteen nineties, this and this is I can't think whether you know he was actually saying this for for comedic purposes or not. But he did an interview with 
shoot magazine. I don't know why I remember this to this day, but um, they said, who's your favorite celebrity? And he, he put John Major. And it was like, <laughs> what, what the actual, f- why would anyone give that answer to that question? It was like, what, you know. I'm kind of more into him now. <laughs> I, I, I heard, I learned that. Where jo- does that come from? Well, I learned that exactly. John Major took, a, on Desert Island Discs, John Major took a, a, his luxury gift, a luxury item was um, a, a scale model of the Oval, the cricket ground. And similarly, I was way into, way more into John Major once I realised that that was something, <laughs> like something I learned. Did. Okay, so um, what I'm just going to throw out some other names for you. Um, and this is from a really, really well-researched um, list. Uh, what about um, Roberto Di Zerbi? You heard of him? Nope. Nope. I, think you, I think you'll find that he is one of the uh, hottest young coaches uh, in, in Europe at the moment. Uh, he's currently... Uh, you're saying you've done all this research, you haven't prepped a quiz. Fuck's sake, Tom. He's, he's, he's the head coach of Ukrainian Premier League club Shakhtar Donetsk. <laughs> um, but he's uh, Italian and he has he's 42 and he's got maybe the sort of swagger um, and he might be ready to do it in one of the more established leagues. Um, so he's someone that that I thought could be like if it's going to be someone who's not already out there. There was talk of Diego Martinez, wasn't there? Um, uh, and I wondered what what you thought of that, um, Edie. I haven't been paying much attention to anything other than the Sky Bet list. Um, I, I think there's like just as long as it's not one of those blockbuster choices. I'm I'm wanting to hear about people who. Um, I have no idea about. That's that's what I want to hear about. Like this this, this is, guy. That's what I'm, that's no what I'm idea doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to give te- you. For, I'm trying to give you more of these foreign managers that you well, might not tell me all about him. Then let's go. Let's we, rumble. Well, well, Diego, he, he knows Kack. nothing. He knows nothing. Well, Diego, <laughs> I, I just told you all about Shakhtar the next bloke. Um, so Diego Martinez is also linked with the Villa job. Um, so he's um, Spanish and was at Sevilla and Osasuna. Um, and but then you've also got people like Marco Rose. Um, like he's the manager of Borussia Dortmund. But if you look back at what what he did before, um, and and how kind of coaching the second team like that, it feels to me like if it's going to be someone who's not in this pack, this Sky Bet, which is now what we're referring to the Sky Bet list, if you wanted to put some cle- clever money on, you would be looking down like the Marco Rose route, where you know he he made I think it was. Yeah, Mainz, Mainz is second team. So effectively, similar to the Farker route um, of, of what we did before, looking at whose second team is currently absolutely ripping it up in Germany. Um, or, or, do you know what I mean? Like who's under 23, who's been at the under 23s for a couple of years at Milan or Real or something. Like you can imagine that being the sort of sort of um, uh, the position that, that takes place. What I wanted to, to ask you, if you remember, Paul, because you're 104, so you'll you'll know all of these things. <laughs> um, Thanks. What um, <laughs> in the, no? I'm only going in the last 10, 15 years. When was the last time a Premier League manager was appointed, uh, and the the final name that was actually appointed uh, wasn't uh, didn't appear in the odds at all? Uh, sorry, do you mean for Norwich or for any any? Club? No, I mean, I mean, I mean for Premier Premier League clubs. Because my 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 hypothesis is, is that if it's not in that block, it would be pretty rare for the bookies to not have any sources at all. Bearing in mind, it's not just Norwich; it's 
any clubs that these other managers might already be connected with or be really friendly with, etc. Mm. Um, just what I mean, like it, it, I, I cannot believe whilst I don't, whilst none of those people are making me kind of jump up and down with joy. I, th- I can't help but think that at least one of them is on the shortlist of two or three, if not all of them, because otherwise, how would the bookies not know about it? I think I think it's a, I think that's a really good point, and and I genuinely can't think and, unless suddenly a player has stepped up that perhaps that perhaps wasn't expected, um, but in in the most part, I know I, I think you're absolutely right, and I mean, I don't know, it's I mean it's so when when you look at them, you know, I'd like to atone myself for the Frank Lampard. I think genuinely, I think that Knutson would be the best bet because of the way he works psychologically with players, and we could go into that a lot more. But I won't. Uh, I've tweeted about it. I, I think that would change what we've got. You know, I would love to see somebody like Emma Hayes. I think it would be such a Norwich thing to do. So on brand. Com- completely mm. out of the blue that just says, fuck you, Premier League. We're going to do this our way. Uh, uh, we're going to give this job to one of the best brains in football, because she does have one of the best brains in football, and just deal with it. I think that would be fantastic and so Norwich. Oh, and what I also like about that as well is having seen her, um, having seen her interviewed after a, a Chelsea loss um, uh, at the start of this season. I think they lost to Arsenal. I think um, she's a proper arsehole. Like she's <laughs> yeah. like she's she like they. I don't think they lost by many, but she was just like, yeah, well, you know, it, was, it had nothing to do with them really. It was the fact that we didn't play very well, and if we'd have executed properly, then then they wouldn't have even got shot, let alone the goal. And I was just like, oh, I like I like the cut of your jib. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. One, as you say, Edie, properly on brand, and I would get on board with that. And I would I would say that the ACN merch would get flying off the shelves. And in terms of growing the brand, growing us, and you know, talk about doing something different to spark some interest from overseas. Like let's let's go after people who don't feel aligned to a club at the moment because they don't have a female coach. So yeah, fantastic. I didn't realise that was going to be the answer, but we seem to have solved it. I hope you're listening, Stuart. That's so hipster, though. We've just gone full <laughs> hipster. Oh, fair enough. Um, are there any more questions, Punt? From there's our a couple more that I, there there are lots more, but there's a couple more that I think we should um, we should deal with. Um, and the first is from Ollie Rowe on Twitter, and he's asked if Knutson wasn't available till December, which of the players would make the best old school 1990s style player manager? Brilliant until question. Then? So it's a terrific question. question. Probably the best. And get in touch, Ollie, and we'll sort you out. Some best merch. for a couple That's of months. Good. That's a banger. So Tom, start us off with that. Uh, Kenny. For you've got to give your reasoning as well. I think. Oh, okay. Um, drinking in the dugout. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Edie. I had Kenny too, Legend. but um, Great minds. mainly for Scottishness. You oh know, yeah, well, yeah they make good managers, don't they? You well, could, yes. You could pivot um, to Hanley then, I suppose. Well, no, 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 because like Kenny in his old school nylon three stripe head to toe tracksuit, probably a whistle. Like bring back whistles. Yes, like, a whistle around his neck. Won't like that. Yeah, a whistle but, around like, his neck. Like, yeah, yeah, proper old school like 
just a bottle of squash in one hand and probably like a Mad kind dog. of improvised weapon in the other. That's what I'd like to see for the interim. <laughs> Have you seen okay. our new fighty player, our fighty, hard drinking Scottish player manager? Like it, it might be the most storied like six weeks of management ever. <laughs> Paul, I don't think you can follow that, but please try. <laughs> do you know funnily enough that was my other idea for how Norwich could do things differently was actually don't employ a manager just say players we're going to give you a coaching setup but you manage the team and let them just get on with it just say to them you're paid enough you deal with it you get names out, out of the hat mayor's. names out the hat every names, names and of course Kenny names out of the mayor's hat so yeah nice there you go he was, nice. was actually a sheriff's hat we saw him put it on but never mind okay right. we did yeah we were there we were there in the room um and then last but not least, this is Norwich fan Gagan Rex on, on Twitter. And he's asked, Hello, and Edie, you must start with this. He recently had a dream about subletting a flat to Mario Vrancic's parents. What's the oddest city-related dream you've ever had? Um, so th- there, there are two ones. One, I'm not going to I knew there'd share. be more than one. <laughs> I know. I can't share one of them on a podcast because it would be just the biggest bummer ever. But um, I, I had a dream of... I'm so intrigued now. I know. It's, it's, I will, I'll share it later. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so... <laughs> that was my watch. <laughs> yeah, so the weirdest dream I ever had actually involved um, just the, a, a, a fitted kitchen being installed in the, the kind of sort of director's area of the actual of Carroll Road. And I think it's because I was talking to someone whose family installed Delia's fitted kitchen and that was the, the claim to fame they were giving me. And then obviously later on in my head, it was actually installed in the the premises itself, which I thought would be quite nice, you know, a little kind of marble island, some fruit bowls. I thought it was a good idea. Nice. Nice. Paul, have you had any weird city-related um, dreams? Cheese dreams? <laughs> Excuse me. Many over the years. Um uh, but one in particular that springs to mind is, so I used to do a lot of filming behind the scenes at various football clubs, uh, including Norwich. And um, I once dreamt that um, uh, mid-filming during a game, I'd gone for a poo in the uh, in the Norwich City dressing room. Oh, anxiety dream. <laughs> do, you know, and, do you know who that actually happened to? Please finish your story, but I will tell you well, that no, actually happened to someone. What I was going to say was the, the weirdest <laughs> bit was that it was during Chris Hutton's reign and, and he came in wanting to use the toilet and gave me a bollocking <laughs> for having a poo on his toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most angry he'd ever been. He was too nice otherwise. Wow. But that, yeah, that literally happened to WWE superstar Mick Foley at what? SummerSlam 2019. Oh, he, was, he was late ringside and the amateur referee uh, did make the mistake of imparting some openness by letting the crowd know that he was having a poo. <laughs> Is this at the fight mayor thing at the football club? This was club? at fight mayor 2019, okay. yes. Right. I think I feel the pod's taken a slightly weird and different direction. <laughs> yeah. So, Tom, please tell us about your weird Norwich City-related football dreams. I, I don't think I've got... A, I saw this, this question coming earlier. I, I don't think I've got a, a, a dream that's... I don't seem to really dream much about Norwich. I, I can't even remember one from my kids. So the answer I'll give is that I've got a dream, not in a in a trying to rip off MLK way. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'd want. I've got a kind of dream that 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 I basically continue the line of um, family members going to football. So that the seat next to me is now vacant for the first time in so I've been going with my dad for 20 well 26 years pre-pandemic 
he's not going to go anymore. So I've now got a, a, a space next to me until my either eldest or youngest um, fancies going and can sit still long enough. Um, we'll just get a long trench coat and then they can both go. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> currently. You I wouldn't met Parsley's children. <laughs> yeah, that I'll, will not happen. Yeah, I don't. I, one, they wouldn't stay in the in the trench coat. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that to Malcolm and Colin and the other people who sit near me. Um, it's bad enough they have to listen to me all game, uh, other than Rue like wittering on about his favourite cars that he's seen this week. Um, so yeah, I, that that's my dream. My dream is that that at least one of the two um, follow in the footsteps of my me, my dad, and, and my granddad, and and have a season ticket at the football. Oh well, we should finish on that note, I think, Tom, because that's lovely. Cool. Well, um, Edie, thank you for coming and talking to us. And and you know, there is a certain spice in in the Edie episodes, and it's why they they always go down so well. Um, Paul, um, thanks for the revelation of the fact that you are of uh, Zimmer frame age. <laughs> Um, uh, it will be brought up on every repeat appearance uh, apologies to everyone I, I genuinely did want the ACN quiz to come back I was going to do a manager special and then work got a bit annoying and it meant that I couldn't so um, we will be back um, when uh, there is some news which hopefully is going to be Thursday Friday time we've heard recently there might be something leaked which I think is the word that, that Punt used um, and actually it's going to be either a definite very close or a definite final two that we're going to know about later in the week so hopefully that's right because to be honest I'm already getting a bit fed up of it's like I've, I've got over the um, the kind of oh who's it going to be and now it's just like can you just tell me actually it's like nearly opening a present but like nearly opening a present for like three days like can you just tell me now so I can move on and get excited or disappointed um, but when we when, when we do find out what that is, we will gather around the mics again and we will have a good chat and I will do a manager-based, um, Norwich City manager-based quiz. So do your revising for that punt because I expect you'll probably get an invite to that, what with ACMB in your game. Really? And as ever, as ever, I acknowledge you exist. And Charles. to the rest of you lot, enjoy constantly refreshing Twitter or your social media of choice. We're going to have a new era and it's going to be fantastic because it's going to give us something to talk about. Hopefully it'll be fantastic on the pitch. It's going to be incredible if it's anywhere near as fantastic as Farka made us feel off it. Monday. Later.